0: Welcome to the 5G Decretory podcast, where we will explore the hottest topics in
1: 5G with some of the industry's leading minds.
2: We shall now get back to the present time, which is 5G as a technology, and we will focus now on mission critical networks. Europe has experienced very tremendous uh, challenges in this year, ranging from pandemic, of course, different fires, uh, floods, uh, crime, illegal immigration happening right here, right now, in the uh, border of Latvia and Belarus, for example. Uh, tetra networks are now old and they no longer serve all of the needs, our first responders' need. so it's time to... Uh, Uh, implement new technologies and in this session uh, we will also uh, touch upon the issues why some countries are more advanced in uh, integrating new technologies and why some are still lagging behind. The uh, session would be moderated by David Lund who is the uh, uh, representative of uh, Public Safety Communication Europe and he's coordinator of Broadway and preparing for BroadNet. All right, with this, uh, David, I'm handing over to you.
1: Okay, thank you very much uh, for the introduction and, and welcome to our um, uh, mission critical uh, networks uh, panel session. Um, welcome. Uh, so this afternoon, we welcome four, four speakers here. Uh, each, each involved in the deployment systems and service development and future innovation in mission-critical networks and services. It's important to consider all actors in the mission-critical ecosystem. And here we cover a a national authority with a need, a large integrating organization, and two SMEs innovating in in mission-critical technologies and services. But before I introduce our speakers, I'll I'll provide some uh, additional context um, beyond the, the introduction there. So the mobile ecosystem is developing in ways that we've never considered before. And I'm really looking forward to see how this 6G uh, revolution will will, will will go in the coming years and, and over and beyond what we we find as we currently deploy 4G mission critical and evolve towards 5G also. Um, public safety are currently still using 2G. So we're going from what, 2G to 6G? Is that a big jump? Is it an evolution? What is it? Push the talk and short data services are in normal right now for for public safety uh, responders and and our our public safety community we need highly trusted secure and reliable communication systems and that's why they still use a 20 year old 2g technology it's secure it's reliable it's trusted however there's an information imbalance widening Uh, the bad guys they use smartphones like we all do personally we can carry our smartphones around different countries, turn them on, it just works. That's great. But it, public safety, they need a better information exchange capability than the bad guys. Hence the need for this mission critical mobile broadband. So the public safety community became a first vertical sector. It's not, fan, I'm not a fan of the term vertical, but vertical to address the 3GBB standards, recognizing that it's not wise to reinvent an updated version of these specialist radio technologies that are used for public safety now. And also to leverage economic scale of commercial mobile. So a mission critical service layer was born, providing mission critical push to talk, mission critical video, mission critical data. These are in the 3GPP standards now and they're matured and there are products available. And we're in this um, stage now of of deploying those uh, nationally and, and ideally interconnecting those internationally through our considering our Broadway and Broadnet programs, so these mission critical services, they also take advantage of higher levels of quality of service, priority, preemption capabilities that are all that will always give public safety the first opportunity when they need to communicate, especially in a football stadium with forty thousand people watching YouTube, watching the match on YouTube because they can't see the actual ma- uh, ground so well. European countries are now in the process to deploy this. Those deploying now will target 4G, of course, and that's where the standards lay uh, when mission critical services were, were, were standardized. Those deploying a little later, will have a dilemma of whether to target 5G directly or sensibly recognize the evolution from 4G to 5G. And hell yeah, we've got 6G along the lines, yeah. We've got to be prepared and then be involved in that conversation. So Europe will achieve a large deployment of mobile broadband for public safety within this decade across several countries. Public safety responders will learn new mission-critical information exchange possibilities, and this will redress this information imbalance that I mentioned earlier. So as we move towards 5G security and trusted information services, a key service continuity is key as our responders operate across borders, you know, high-speed drugs chase across a border, for example. And, and there's many different uh, use cases and challenges that we, we consider like that. And it has to be more secure, more reliable, more available than, than our regular mobile systems that we, we all use today. So our four speakers today uh, will, will be across the, the four different uh, um, domains, really, we've got. Antti Karpinen is the CTO uh, who's responsible for the new Verve 2.0 mission-critical network to be deployed in Finland. Claudio Becchetti, who is with Leonardo and leads the development of innovative uh, mission critical networks and technologies and services. Then we have two innovative SMEs uh, represented here, Yanis Stirl from the Internet Institute in Slovenia, continues to innovate in the field of new 5G-based systems for public safety. And Oscar Fejava from emergent in Spain who've pioneered the the development of mission critical services and applications in in, in the recent years through through many activities um, supporting the standards. So I'll ask each one to present and then handle some questions at the end, including some challenges that I I will certainly pose. Um, And so therefore, I will hand over now to to Antti, and Karpinen, and uh, please go ahead Antti, tell us what's going on in Finland.
3: Thanks, David. I hope you can hear me. So, uh, yeah, at the moment in Finland, we've been running the Tetra system for 20 plus years now, and we are in the migration process of, of building up the new system. And of course, it has been a quite a complex project. I think two or three legislation had to be changed to enable a preemption and a priority, for example, in Finland. Through extensive request for information, we chose to do a uh, MOCN model, so run-sharing model, which basically means that we are running our own core to an extent that it can't be run in-house. But we don't have a frequency, and also we found it uh, best way, most cost-efficient way to use commercial run. So we procured from the market one domestic run. Elisa is the operator that is serving us 4G and 5G, and Ericsson was selected to uh, offer us the core which is also 4G 5G. So as soon as uh, ELISA's radio access network is in, in in 5G or a standalone 5G, it will be in our use in due time. So I'm really happy, happy about that. We will be able to produce the preemptive SIM card uh, in the beginning of next year and mission critical services within a few years. So we aim to be somewhere at 25, 26, at least by the end of 26, so that all the users have migrated from Tetra to uh, the to new broadband service. And we are probably one of the first ones to do it. I think uh, there's something happening in the States. UK is really active in this and few other nations. But still, still, this is like the Tetra project once again, because when you are one of the first, there's lots of things you have to tackle that those who follow do not have to tackle. But of course, I'm happy to serve the global community. Uh, If you look at 5G in general, uh, I do expect a lot from it. Now, it's like you said, it's voice, short messaging, etc., etc., what's mission critical. Uh, What's expected more than anything is the better situation awareness, better operational efficiency. And because I like examples, I think drones are a really good example. So now we have line-of-sight drones. And with 5G, we can first have non-line-of-sight drones, which makes the use of drones much more efficient. But we do need 5G for that, in my mind. And then we can have autonomous drones. Again, needs 5G architecture, because the uh, 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 system operating drones has to be closer, closer to drones, so we are talking something like far edge type of solution. Uh, then when we're going to put uh, artificial intelligence on the edge, we can also release the guy watching the video that the drone is filming with, with form recognition. So I think that's a good example on how 5G enables the use of drones and of course in future releases uh, they do tackle the problem of drones connecting to the radio access network because they are in a, a quite weird direction if you compare them to average consumers but anyway yeah i think the 5G artificial intelligence edge computing there's lots of possibilities but there's lots of challenges also because all this new technology has to work wherever, whenever. Public safety cannot work on best efforts type of solutions. So, uh, to me, 5G is, is much, much more than uh, capacity. It's mostly about changing the whole structure of the ecosystem. But personally, I'm looking forward to it. Thanks.
1: Yeah, thanks a lot, Antti. Of course, it's quite a challenge, isn't it, going forward? And uh, this is why in this panel, I, I bring in different actors, you know, so um, it's quite a challenge. And I think you're doing a great job over there, really. Um, we'll have to come and have, have a try a bit, you know, meet Santa Claus again. Um, so I'll have, hand over now to, to Claudio, Claudio Bacchetti from Leonardo. Um, so as a, as a technology um, integrator, provider, you do everything, right? So how does um, uh, Mission Critical Services, uh, how, how are you approaching this, Claudio? Thanks. Thank you david uh, just
4: focus on mission critical network that is uh, for people who don't know they are the networks that uh, if they don't work there is a serious problem uh, loss of money and, and especially loss of lives uh, so users are mainly police forces disaster relief operators and communication managed mainly by uh, government agency and so the point uh, david asked to to ask to us is uh, uh, why some countries uh, do go like Finland in Broadway direction and other, they are liking, they are very, uh, well, they, they they go, they they are in their old narrowband technology, such as Twitter. Uh, to understand this point, uh, we try to, to put in the head of the user, the end users. And let's consider, for example, Policeman. Uh, for a policeman, a radio device is more useful than a gun. A gun is only one gun, while a radio allows police forces to call many other guns, that is policemen. And that's uh, really life-saving, uh, because especially when you don't know how many enemies you will face. And uh, many, many knows in this field that when there is no radio coverage for police forces, they have to adopt a specific protocol in order to reduce risks. And the same applies for disaster relief, for ambulance. Uh, This is the first point, so reliability, availability. But then there is something else in 2015, we had uh, the Charlie Hebdo attack, the other Paris terrorist attack, and we had a main problem, Three forces involved, three different communication networks. A serious problem in coordination uh, that probably caused more casualties. And they had uh, narrowband communication, so no videos to share for situation awareness. uh, No videos to share with control rooms and operators. uh, No data, no apps. uh, And uh, no real-time information from social media that they saw. It was very, very useful inside uh, a crisis like that one. So to summarize, you have narrowband networks with uh, well-known reliable services uh, and uh, precise cost and performance. And from the other side, you have uh, broadband services uh, with mission-critical videos, uh, information from social media, app data. So both of them, they have, to be, they have to be useful. Unfortunately, what we see is that the commercial network usually Uh, have a problem uh, in the time where the mission critical network have to be used. Uh, The typical example is uh, Christmas Eve, traffic jam, everybody starts calling uh, and network saturates and police forces could not talk in principle if if they rely on commercial network. The good news, and this is for example, Broadway has, uh, has shown it very clearly, is that with mission critical, we can overcome this problem of the, uh, uh, of the commercial network operators. So uh, in, 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 uh, in Broadway, we saw that there is the technology that allows uh, to do this. For example, in Leonardo, we have a complete mission-critical broadband solution at 3GPP standard. We can guarantee reliability, availability. We can also have seamless integration with narrowband technology. Uh, This means that basically police forces may exchange data and videos and also talk with uh, narrowband terminals. So from a technical point of view, the problem is solved. The bad news in my opinion is that uh, commercial operators usually don't want to implement what needed to guarantee reliability and availability. The main point, uh, the the real main point is that they hardly risk uh, the commercial operator there 99% of their revenues for a 1% of revenues that comes from mission critical. This is a a core point. And uh, basically, in a few terms, uh, from a business point of view, kids playing with smartphones are more important than police forces in a terrorist attack. So this is a a very critical point. And this gives uh, many problems uh, to the agency. Some have chosen uh, Uh, In my opinion, the right approach, I I heard about Finland, I mean, my opinion is the correct approach, Uh, that is, uh, reliability is overwhelming. We have to guarantee what we had in the past, uh, that is 99.999%, that is five minutes maximum of outage a year. Uh, but there are the other countries that uh, suggested that even 18 days failure a year is sufficient that's very strange but some countries do this uh, this is to let's say to fulfill what uh, the uh, mobile network operators want uh, so the opinion is that we have to find the right uh, uh, the right balance and we have to find the right uh, balance between cost versus performance. Um, this is uh, a, a right point. And we have, uh, because every country has different uh, needs, different support into organization, dif- different mission critical infrastructures. Uh, the suggestion uh, uh, is, uh, let's consider a solution that have uh, all the possible uh, organization and technology. Organization means uh, models, means uh, mobile network operator involved, mobile virtual network operator involved, uh, core network, radio network private, connected with satellite, all the technology and the, uh, all the, let's say, organizational model. Uh, in this way, we can adapt to the specific needs uh, for specific countries. This maybe is the key, Is a lesson learned. So the lesson learned is, uh, in our opinion, Our transition between legacy and broadband may be very critical and may cost lives. A smooth transition is feasible from a technology point of view, and we may integrate mission critical networks with control rooms, with uh, being, let's say, inside the the, uh, operation and the way how the operators work. This is the, the lesson learned that we have. Uh, from these years of uh, in working with,
1: with Mission Critical. Great, Thank, thanks Claudio. Thanks for the insights from your, your viewpoint. Um, now, we've seen of course um, Leonardo here who can who can deliver these systems. We've seen the needs um, appreciated by, by. Antti from Finland. And now I'll hand over, over to two our two um, innovative small companies here because Really, um, as we go forward, you know, it's not just about deploying the the, um, the systems. Yes, that's very important and very, very difficult. But once those systems are, are deployed, we need this continued um, uh, innovation going forward. So I'd like to hand now a slight change of order, I think, of, of what I was anticipating. But if I can hand over now to um, um, Oscar Oscar from Emergent. Um, who's uh, an emergent have been quite pioneering in, in mission critical services and, and developing those those key capabilities. Um, Oscar t- tell us what you've been doing and, and tell us what you see of um, the challenges for the future in, in, in the way you you approach uh, approach this Thanks. Thanks. <coughs> Thank you
5: David so probably my my pitch will be different from a commercial point of view and from an innovation point of view. So in this case I wanted to focus more on the on the second one. And it is more about which are the, the aspects we are missing in 4G networks that we could have in 5G networks for helping the the deployment and massive development of the of the mission critical services. So we as a SBE, we are focused on the application level of the Emission Critical Post-Total according to the 3gPP standards. You know that in this case, and it is good for us, the services, splitting, network, and applications. It is the co-pilot. So in PMR, everything was together. Now you have applications and networks. And ideally, in some years, we should be able to offer our service to FA, different agencies keeping the traffic isolation needs and the interworking and interconnection capabilities depending on the different use cases, different scenarios and so on. Doing that with 4G is not easy because you have a quite integration, hard integration with the networks in order to manage the quality of service, the multicasting capabilities, and even for deploying your service over a mission critical 4G network so this is not easy right now to offer your service to many different agencies creating different instances to any of them uh, unless you make it over the top but this is not the case because you need some critical capabilities so the promise with 5g is more in our case oriented to the core capabilities not to the fancy radio capabilities ultra low latency reliability and so on Uh, What we need from 5G is the capability to instantiate the service for a small or huge agency, and the question from the network, a network slice that covers those capabilities. And for this network slice, we should cover a wide coverage. For example, with a public mobile operator, an enhanced coverage, enhanced capabilities in specific infrastructure. Provided by critical infrastructures, airports, ports, or whatever. So, in the future, we want to have the capability to deploy our service, requesting network license here and there, interworking these network license to create a converged uh, service capability for the agencies. So, let's say it is a bit. Beyond what we are having right now in 5G, which is more related to the last mile, to the air interface and so on. What we are missing right now is all this capability to make the service tailored to the customers, regardless if the customer is a small agency or a huge agency. So more or less, this is the message I wanted to bring right now, and we can discuss later about about that.
1: Okay, thanks, Oscar. So, So the challenge from your side is, well, the services are built now, but how do we get the services to the right place at the right time as and when they're needed? Yeah. Um, In fact, uh, this leads very well on to to the next uh, introduction speaker, uh, Yanis Stirl, who's um, um, actually developing techniques there for for deployment of um, um, applications on on, on utilizing the 5G um, core technologies, really. Yanis, would you... Your,
0: your introduction, please. Yeah, thank you, David. So, good afternoon to all from Slovenia. So, for sure, I will give a different point of view on this topic from an SME, but actually from a startup, I would say. So, for sure, it's my great pleasure, let's say, to start uh, to be with all of you here today on this exciting 5G panel. So, as being said, I'm leading a young and development intensive SME located in Slovenia, called Internet Institute but uh, let me give you first a bit of uh, our background because i'm sure you know that majority of audience actually don't know what we're actually doing so our primary business is in providing 5g centric solutions and services for various vertical industries such as ppdr industry 4.0 ports and other industrial sectors that actually need highly reliable mission critical communication systems so we started our SME as a university spin-out in 2014 and in those times we saw a 4G and upcoming 5G as a disruptive technology that will actually re- replace legacy and in many cases this vendor locked and almost proprietary professional communication systems which are used also today, these are TETRA tetraendymia in Europe. So, we were quite lucky to get an opportunity to start our 5G development really early. From our previous experience from university, we saw a huge potential in these international collaborations and Horizon 2020 funding. So, with partners, we applied for our first 5G development project in 2016. And today, we have six ongoing 5G PPP Phase 3 projects which are targeting solutions for public safety ports, industry four zeros, automotive verticals. So, but what it is more important is that we, out of that, we have prepared our three key product lines, which are of course 5G centrics. We have our own uh, private 5G mobile system running on commodity hardware, supporting cloud native principles with cloud run capabilities. All the components are fully orchestratable with OSM and stuff like that. So we have also prepared our own 5G industrial gateway with back-end system components operating in 5G non-standalone and standalone mode. And uh, last but not least, we have also a production in the production 5G test automation solution, optimized for mobile cloud and fixed environments support, supporting this testing of the full 5G stack. So if you can imagine 10 years ago from a startup perspective that could to be built uh, in a small startup, that kind of technologies, this was not actually possible. But 5G gives you these the capabilities. But let me uh, give you more examples, let's say a current example of what we are doing. Let's say in the 5G ANA, 5G GASP and Int 5Gen projects, we are extending the capabilities of our portfolio to be even more PPDR centric. What this means? In 5G GAS, we are preparing our solution to support 5G isolated operations. This is to operate, let's say, commercial 5G not B in fully isolated mode, as we have it, let's say, in 4G. So this is capability to be used uh, in, let's say, in huge disasters where, where backhaul or core networks are actually down and unaccept- unacceptable. In another project, in 5GENT, we are exploring these public and private cloud and optical infrastructures. Um, where, and we are designing, let's say, these novel PPDR architectures with practical implementations, how to deploy and operate PPDR solution on top of these 5G environments, let's say, cloud and other capabilities. And let's say another example in this 5G YANA project, we are exploring actually all these 5g automotive ecosystem and capabilities such as onboard unit roadside unit 5g Mac capabilities and vehicle to infrastructure or vehicle to X capabilities which are coming with 5g and on top of that we are preparing very exciting use cases related to the PPDR rescue in the tunnel accidents in the euro in the European tunnels so therefore I would say that we are some how involved in the ppdr centric 5g development and there is a huge potential i would say and also challenges so um, why as our previous speaker said there are challenges in the regulatory in the implementation domain in certification domain and also if we are being, bringing complementary technologies such as drones such as artificial intelligence there will be in this public safety domain there will be more challenging but i'm sure that there will be a follow-up discussion on that so i will stop here for now thank you
1: <laughs> yeah thanks you, certainly a challenge indeed um so what i'm going to do now is just go around with a, a few uh, challenging questions and ask for your, your individual opinions this is of course not just a technological problem it's uh, it involves The end users directly, and and really, we should keep them involved uh, in in this dialogue as as these systems uh, develop. Um, And I think I'm going to pick on um, uh, Claudio and and Antti on on this question. Sorry, I didn't pre-prepare you on this one, but I'm going to draw on um, the the activities on um, cross-border activity. So, um, with regard to, I mean, Claudio, you were involved, of course, with the EasyTech project where. There's an inter-system interface between um, uh, Norway and Sweden. And and I'm led to believe that the the challenges were not necessarily entirely technical. They were more about the um, uh, user operations, really, and and aligning the operations between the the responders in the two countries. How do you get on that? Can you comment on on those details?
4: um... Well, the point is that, in our opinion, this is the um, the experience that we had from EZDEP, but now in Broadway and so on, it's always the same. First, uh, the problem is that the interagency uh, relationship and also intercountry relationship, and this is quite complex because every agency has a specific uh, activity, and so, well, it's very difficult to make them cooperate, and so we uh, we may consider that uh, at top level we, you have to uh, consider the agreement, then you have to put in common the operation, uh, the operations, the procedure, and then the technology. And if you don't uh, do, uh, that's maybe obvious, but if you don't do, uh, let's say a framework where you put uh, agreements, uh, procedures, and technology, then basically it does not work, you, don't, you are not able to Put together countries and uh, and put together agencies to work together. Uh, this is a, a real point, uh, basically because agency they um, naturally don't have a, a benefit in working together. The overall community has a, a benefit if the agency works together. But the agency itself does not have a, a, clear, uh, a clear vantage. So what we need uh, is a, a clear support from the government, uh, from, let's say, from the top manager of the agency in order to make them work together. And this is really, really a great challenge. And in my opinion, the, the, the problem that we have in the countries that they count some country legs in this point in broadband, because the benefit from broadband is clear, is explicit. So the problem is real, not technical, Is agency and is government problems, because they, they got, in my opinion, the wrong model. Um, you must have, for example, Uh, a a critical mission critical operator, not a mission uh, and not uh, a mobile network operator to manage all this stuff because uh, mobile network operator has a different goal and different uh, objectives. So you have to have another model and as far as I've understood from Finland, they have this kind of model. So you have to to find the right model in order that uh, uh, let's say agreement procedures and technology work together and they give you a, a framework that goes in
1: the right direction this is our opinion yeah th- thanks claudio uh, anti would you um i, be- I believe you're you rec- well quite recently um engaged with the the uh, inter-system interface on the tetra level is that is has that uh, raised any um any challenges for you, and and how do you see going forward in broadband uh, in that respect? Yeah, <laughs> yes,
3: the ISI is quite overall. It has been up and running a few years now. It's working well. I know at this very moment there's a meeting going on with, between the Nordic countries, and they are discussing this very topic: how to move forward. I think it is somewhat of a problem that different nations are moving in different phases. So, if for example, uh, policemen from Sweden was to cross-border, to Finnish side. do we then have to maintain some, some debt recoveries to facilitate those users? Uh, questions like this. But I think what would, I'd like to see is some regulatory work from uh, EU level, or not regulatory, but somehow perhaps persuade nations to support this type of functionalities. I know that you are active in this in the Broadway way, and what comes after it. But I think even if we had the regulator, regulatory work in place, we still need, first, uh, collaboration between ministerial. So, in Finland, it could be Ministry of Transport and Communications. They would have to seek out those entities from the neighboring country. Then regulators would have to agree on something, then the end users, and then us as an operator. So, it's really complex, even though the regulatory work was in place. Although, that basically only has to be done twice, or once this would be the second time, ISI being the first time. I think what would be important from a rather technical point of view is that all nations only buy 3GPP compliant software so that there are interfaces that can actually connect with each other. Or, for example, if there were to become some sort of uh, pan-European hub for different uh, mission critical systems that would not be like country to country, but more like a mesh type of solution to support that. I think the general working process after ISI is in place. So, they're used to sharing voice communication and short data messaging. But even within Finnish borders, the legislation is unclear how different end-user organizations can share the data, the operational data. If you look at the 5G era, there will be lots of video lots of sensor data, so if there is any difficulties within Finnish organizations, how to share the data, to be able to share that with uh, operators from another nation is going to be quite a legislative struggle, I think, but one that has to be overcome, I think.
1: Thanks. Yeah, Thanks, Santi. I, I, do, I do feel that challenge, <laughs> I'll be honest. Yeah, the the regulatory um, and political challenges are are our next steps for sure in in the broad net, towards broad net, um, um, you know, transitions. Um, So I'd like to just change the the tack of the questions a little bit now. So, so Oscar, um, how do you see um, the transition 4G to 5G? Of course, the mission critical services uh, are primarily uh, standardized for, for a LTE technologies. Do, do you see any issues uh, going forward on the 5G technologies? Do you uh, also see solutions with regard to the interconnect of, of users in different countries? Two questions, sorry.
5: <laughs> yeah, in fact, my, my answer to those two questions are the same. Um, for me, yeah. the the final answer for all these interworking, interconnection, and everything is the standard-based 3GPP and CX systems. It will be deployed everywhere, in, not only at national level, because we already know from current experiences that the nationwide systems are not always useful for every agency, because there are regional systems, there are uh, regions that cannot transit so quickly to the, to the next generation of technologies and so on. So you have an umbrella common umbrella based on standard based three PP systems, uh, CBTT, and generalized NCX. You can be a common playground where you can interconnect to whatever underlying system you have for connectivity. So you can cover 4G networks, you can cover future 5G networks, future 6G networks, but also current Tetra systems, DMR systems, analog, whatever you have. So, as Santi mentioned before, you can plug all these systems to a common framework uh, as we are developing in the Broadway uh, project. You can guarantee somehow that you can evolve and transit from 3G, 4G, 5G, or whatever uh and still being interoperable so this is the the answer or the final answer from from our perspective
1: yeah thanks thanks oscar of course um quite a challenge as the technology is changing underneath uh, what we're doing as well and i'm I'm still particularly um i would say open-minded about what 6g is going to bring us um um the innovation challenges, what do you see? I mean, you, you presented some of this um, already, but what do you see going forward from your, your perspective? What do you think of the biggest challenges now going forward? Will you be, a, will you be um, exploring the 6G world?
0: Uh, for sure. So, um, this, But before we start, let's say, hyping 6G, we need to give PPDR stakeholders a clear vision how they will migrate from one G to another one. And what will be the benefit for them. Okay? This is something we have done, let's say, in consumer markets, or we are doing for a several we have done it for a several generations. I hope that we can be convincing also for the vertical industries such as PPDR. So why is this so important? From the research and innovation perspective, 5G and this upcoming 6G is something of the most exciting that happened, let's say, in our mobile ecosystem. So, as you have seen from our, from my previous, let's say, talk. But, um, so we will be able to fix everything that we have done wrong in 5G, 4G, 3G and 2G. But we need to put this into the perspective of the PPDR end users. So 5G or N6G is another unknown they need to put into this complex 4G equation if they, let's say, decide for the deployment. Don't forget that we have brought, let's say, a big hype to them and promises about how 4G extensions for the PPDR will solve all the tetra and issues, Okay, issues. And now even before the real 4G PPDR deployments um, um, that we replace Tetra, we are selling 5G and 6G. But we need to be honest to the PPDR community. For the PPDR, for the mission critical part in 5G, there is ongoing, let's say, study, which means there is no specification and standards yet. So there is a study in the release I think I hope it will be confirmed, how we will migrate from 4G to 5G technologies. Okay, we are in this stage. So this is a really important message. Um, But at the end, in in my opinion, because I'm coming from a small European country, we would need a common AO strategy for the deployment of the future PPDR solutions. This means for 4G, for 5G and also for the 6G. And this should include regulatory framework, certification, testing, deployment models and other strategies which are really important and also how we will use this system in cross-border collaboration, or when they are coming on-site, et cetera, et cetera. I think this is the main message before we go to SIGG. We need a European strategy for this.
1: Yeah, thanks, Yanis. Lots of challenges, certainly there. Um, Just one final question I I would uh, go around uh, the table. I think primarily, to. to, I'll start with Claudio and then then Antti. And this is about the mission critical um, diversity, really, of, in the different countries. And the question has come from the from the platform, the five G five G platform, and um, it says, does it does this mean that for mission critical networks there should be different security protocols on a state level? Should it be maintained in the network architecture requirements? Claudio, you you have uh, the security viewpoint, I know. Please. What's your opinion on, on security differences in the countries?
4: Well, security has always been uh, quite a big problem it, when we, we, we talk cross-border uh, communications and maybe 5G may also somehow increase uh, this problem because we are talking about slicing, but then it's uh, a old software solution and then for the core network it could be a good problem. Regarding the standards, uh, well, Let's say it's a big problem, and as far as I know, well, um, that the, the security of a country is uh, uh, focused, uh, is managed by the country itself. So it will be a quite a big problem in order to uh, to arrive to a, a security standard at a common level. Um, So, in my opinion, this is quite a problem, both at the standard for communication, let's say, end-to-end, and also there is a problem also for security when we go on a 5G uh, network, then it would be other security issues that have to be be considered. And up to now, uh, we don't have a clear solution, in my opinion. And also, there is also a problem for the networks related to non-trusted, non-trusted vendors. So this is a very big problem, non-trusted vendors, and again. Uh, well, uh, I had some, some figures, uh, about billions of euros uh, to chain core networks uh, and network elements uh, in order to avoid uh, uh, vendors, uh, non-trusted vendors, and this is another problem. My opinion, security <laughs> is uh, quite a, a big point to be, to be considered now.
1: Yeah, for sure. Thank, thanks, Thadio. Um, we have just about a minute left, um, Antti, any final comments on the security question?
3: Yes, uh, well, I think whatever the networks offer, I think there's good things in, for example, 5G toolbox, that's something that operators will adopt, we will adopt. I think all the security layers on top of what the commercial networks, for example, can offer has to reflect the information that you are sharing. So, I think, for example, Finland, we have different security classes, for example, which are more or less something like EU confidential, EU restricted. Then you build the mechanisms and systems to reflect that. You don't want to go over the top with those because there's always a downside when you're adding security. But you have to have enough security that the end user organizations uh, are able, from a legislation point of view, to do their job. You have to support that. Thanks.
1: Oops. Yeah. Sorry. Thank you, Auntie. Sorry, that was my uh, alarm clock, which uh, tells me that the session is coming to to an end. So so um, I'd like to, uh, just to summarize, you know, we, we have the challenges of regulatory, we have the challenges of different countries, all of these different challenges, security, but all manner of things, okay. So, so we will work together in the coming years and, and make this this work, and, and let's hope we can get the pan-European operational mobility um, agenda of Broadway uh, succeeding. So, I, I'd like to finally thank you all for your, your uh, contributions today. It's great to see you. If only we could see in person, but uh, it's great to see you. Thank you very much, and I'll hand back to the uh, moderator now. Thank you. Bye bye. Thank you. Thank you, thank you David.
2: Thank you, David. Uh, I think it was very valuable. I was listening with one ear uh, to your conversations, and I hope that you will have the best of, best of success in your job that you do, because I think we all are influenced by this in uh, critical situations. So thanks again, by the way. By the-